Hello and welcome back to Comeback. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and as you're aware, I interview people from all over the world with all sorts of different backgrounds, stories, and adventures. And one of the people I will be interviewing, my guest today, is Nini Fritz, who is initially from Germany, currently based in Bali, a bucket lister, eye connector, and pancake enthusiast, adventuring <laughs> around between Bali, Breton, and Bondi Beach. We're going to talk about her work, living in Bali, living abroad, and a lot more things. I'm really looking forward to this one. How are you, Nini? Welcome. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction, Connor. <laughs> Especially the pancake enthusiast. That's uh, pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. How are the pancakes in Bali? Uh, believe me, I've tried them. Not all, but I've definitely tried <laughs> around like 50 pancake places like it's my thing on the Sunday I go pancake testing I never go to the same place twice and I bring my little like ranking scale with me and then I have different criteria and I I rank the pancake places to find the best pancakes in Bali (laughs) I love that concept I know people who do that with other things like my brother does one for Guinness in Manchester and Liverpool and people for pizzas and burgers in Saigon why specifically pancakes because I'm sure you know some I don't know anyone else who is a pancake enthusiast what is it about pancakes I luckily found a spirit animal here Uh, one of my friends is as much uh, as enthusiastic as me about pancakes so that's good Um, honestly I, I hope my mom never hears this podcast but I think it's uh it's from my childhood my mom is like a great cook but the one thing she could never really do was pancakes <laughs> so every time I was at a friend's place and they had pancakes I was like oh my god that's the one thing I can't get at home because my mom's pancakes always burned like she really put an effort in it she really tried but they just they were just always burned so I think that's you know catching up on what I missed out on on my child in my childhood <laughs> how, how are your pancakes when you cook them how would you rate your own uh, I, I made homemade pancakes on Sunday this week. Um, they weren't too bad, I have to say. Like, I feel like the, the, the first one always gets a bit like burnt. And the first one is never nice. But then I think I leveled up. But I'm a little bit too spoiled from always going out to, you know, paying for pancakes so someone makes them for me. Um, I could definitely level up my, my pancake game. I'm a better pancake eater than pancake maker. But I'm learning as I go. <laughs> Absolutely. And what we are going to do is talk more about Bali and where you're at and probably more about pancakes, if you like, later on in the conversation. (laughs) However, for now, um, can you tell me, this is a question I always ask the guest, Nini, just because I feel like we talk about living abroad and experiencing new cultures, but we have to start with our home culture, the one that we grew up in. Can you tell me about yours in Germany? And I know this is a broad question, but just as a general overview, what was life like growing up in Germany? That's a really good question to ask, I have to say. Um, Let's answer that. How can I put it in a nice way without offending anyone? Um, But let's say Germans are really efficient people. Like we're really reliable. When we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. When the handyman says he's going to rock up at 8 a.m., he's there at 8 on the minute. Um, But what I do feel like is um, Germans could really learn how to enjoy life a little more 
and how to be like a little bit more loose and have a little bit more fun in life. Um, so there are a lot of things I really appreciate about, you know, the German education system, social system. It's a very safe country. Um, and yeah, very reliable and, um, you know, good economy and all of that. Um, but for me personally, I always felt like I was born in the wrong culture. You know, people have that they feel like they're born in the wrong body. In a way, I had that for, for the German culture. I'm like, something about it doesn't feel like I fit in here. And uh, yeah, luckily I found it somewhere else. But um, yeah, nothing against the Germans. Yeah, <laughs> a lot no, of quality. No yeah. <laughs> but maybe yeah. it's not my matching shoe. <laughs> I usually ask people then, like, were they ever considering traveling growing up some say oh yeah absolutely straight away and some say that no I just fell into it it seems like you're um a bit more in the former would you say that's correct of always looking for new experiences abroad perhaps I planned my escape route quite early <laughs> now that sounds very bad like there are a lot of good things and great people there but yeah I think I've always had the travel travel bug inside of me yeah for sure and when was your first, I guess, experience with travel? Are you? Do you remember? Funnily, it was when I was five years old. <laughs> um, I won a raffle and I won a trip to the US for two weeks. <laughs> I was five. So actually my grandma filled it out for me and they pulled my name. It was like some travel agency and they called um, my mom and they, they asked for me. And my mom was like, well, um, Nini isn't at home. She's, she's in a kindergarten. And they were like, oh, she's, she's working there. And they're like, no, she's five. She's still in the kindergarten. And I'm like, oh, she just won a trip to Florida. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, but actually they allowed me to fly with my dad. Um, and then we went to Disneyland there and like, you know, as a five-year-old going to America where everything is just extra size and big and like extreme. Um, yeah, there was like a very wowza, great um, cultural experience. And uh, since then, I actually always wanted to, to live in America. That was first. Um, but then my, my plans changed a bit, but I think it's, you know, I had that inside of me quite early that the world is big. Uh, there are many different cultures, languages, uh, things to explore. Um, also considering that I grew up in like a very small rural village, like literally 1,410 people living in there. Um, yeah, I just, I was just curious for, to see what, what more there is in life and in the world. Yeah, absolutely. No, I can definitely appreciate that aspect. And even though I grew up in the big city, of, well, I say big city, a fairly big city of Manchester in England, there's still, there was still always like a penchant to see something different. And I know a lot of people with similar intentions. Before we move on to, I guess, you kickstarting your travel journey, like properly, Nini, can I ask you about, um, like, for example, did you grow up and like studying in, after this five-year-old experience in Florida? Did you grow up in... Um, <laughs> study more in Germany like when did you leave Germany um so the first time I I mean I was traveling a bit in between but the first time I really left was when I was 20 um and I did an internship in Shanghai in China mm -hmm. um and I think I really like just paved the way for my travel experience because I felt like if I can make it in a country and in a culture where there's literally like no similarities to my home culture in terms of even like 
you know, facial expressions, gestures, like in the way they act, in the way they like family values, everything was just so, so different. Um, and like little things like people spitting on the floor and like the food they ate and like no communication with me whatsoever. Like I was surprised how basic the English level was. Um, but then it just made me so much stronger thinking if I can survive here where like everything is different and no one understands me and it's a gigantic city, nothing really scared me anymore. I'm like, well, I think I just mastered like the Hercules task and everything after that um, was much, much easier. Like I, yeah. I studied in Mexico in the same year, um, went to the US, um, Bali quite like two years after, like then really got the the ball rolling um but yeah i feel like that really paved the way to to set me up for travel success <laughs> yeah absolutely and i'm just wondering like what you felt or how you felt as soon as you arrived in china because i can imagine yeah. feeling at 20 years old of thinking yeah oh this is very very yeah. alien what were your first say few days like <laughs> oh god funny it brings up very funny memories um like first and foremost I think I've never been to like such a big city in my life before um I think I was in New York before but like Shanghai is just big like massive it's like a concrete jungle um and because I did an internship they actually sent me a driver from the company uh so he picked me up so at least I wasn't all by myself when I got there um and I found like through a Facebook group I already found like an apartment uh, with funnily like I think we were 12 people and we had like two shared apartments as one in like the middle of Shanghai CBD like in a skyscraper basically overlooking the city um it took me like an eternity to find the building to find the entrance um but just you know, standing on a balcony and then realizing like, this is my home now and just overlooking such a massive city. That was quite impressive. Like seeing all the lights and like people down there looking like little ants, always busy moving around. Um, and yeah, another thing is that in Shanghai as a, as a Westerner, you're very privileged, I would say, or like mm -hmm. you get a lot of advantages when you go to like an Asian country as like a Western person. Um, so one of those uh, perks was that going out was pretty much totally for free. So we had our little WeChat groups and then the party promoters just sends like the location for the night and then you just get there and you get free entrance and free drinks. Um, and I definitely had a very, very wild first night. <laughs> like I hadn't slept and then we had all these free drinks and uh, I was just very in the, you know, <laughs> making new friends and meeting people while I'm here mood. Um, and yeah, it doesn't sound very professional on a podcast, but I think there was the second in my life, second time in my life that I actually saw my drinks again. <laughs> and then I took it a little bit easier from there on. Um, but yeah, that was definitely like, kicking it off with a bang. <laughs> Absolutely. I can imagine that was, it would have been wild. I feel like Asia and Europe, there's almost, and I, I can't really think of any similarities. I know that's quite broad, you know, to compare yeah. two continents directly. Yeah, I agree though. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, so many things from say like, family values to the way people speak to each other to environment to what's acceptable and what's yeah. not 
it's just absolutely crazy that like, it's still on the same planet, but yet so different. It right? takes a while to adapt. I actually remember two scenes that I was like, wow, I think they're going to start a fight now. And I'm like, just, you know, backing up. I'm like, this might escalate. And then I asked a colleague, I was like, what just happened? And she was like, oh, he just explained the guys the way back to the hotel. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they run it, they're going to like fight and, you know, we have to, we have to hide. And I'm like, oh no, just, you know, casual conversation. I'm like, what? <laughs> it sounded very aggressive. But, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've had a few like that as well, where I thought, are they, are they fighting? It's like, no, no, just yeah. like, coffee. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really goes to the heart of, I guess, having to be flexible and adapt where, when you yeah. visit a new place, just, I guess, experiencing that, that feeling of not having any expectations and being comfortable with yeah. that and being comfortable with being uncomfortable and being different. Having that yeah. open mind is absolutely paramount for this journey. A hundred percent. And I, I totally agree. And I actually feel like it's like training a muscle. You know, the first time you're doing it, not just for like changing countries, like for everything in life, every time you do something that's slightly out of your comfort zone and you step into this discomfort zone, it's never fun in the beginning. Like you're always in this wibbly wobbly in between fear zone like what the heck am I doing there why didn't I just stay in my country I don't know anyone here I don't understand a word but you know you just learn to roll with it and just enjoy the beauty of being new and having no idea how things work here like nobody knows you and you know you'll be safe you know you'll be fine and things are going to work out you're going to meet people and you just you know you're going to survive it's going to be fine <laughs> yeah absolutely no I still as you mentioned that I conjure up images of me moving to new environments and almost the I guess it's like a I can't really think of the the word to describe but it's almost like a yeah wibbly wobbly like yeah. a thunderstorm in your mind of oh no this is too uncomfortable where am I going what am I doing and getting all those feelings and navigating past that can be tricky but once you do I feel like the rewards are endless yeah. can, can you talk to me about Bali because I know that's where you're yeah. based and you've been to other places yes. but can you tell me about your first time in Bali when did you initially come um I, the first time I came was in between my bachelor's and master's in 2016 so I had like a few months off and then I felt like I just wanted to volunteer and like give back and you know do something meaningful um and then I was looking for places where I can just volunteer as an English teacher um and Bali weirdly always um I always had it on on my bucket list uh places to go and I found this super nice organization literally called volunteer in Bali was probably the first thing that popped up when I googled it um, and I applied for a volunteer position and um, yeah luckily they accepted me and then I came for two months in total so one month I was teaching only and then the second month I was like mostly traveling learning to surf and uh, it's the first time in the in the city I live now or like town I wouldn't call it a city uh, yeah but that was my my first Bali experiences experience and I think I knew quite early from all the places that I've traveled to that Bali is for sure that one place I want to go back to right and what was it about Bali that gave you this impression we briefly discussed off air because we've both been but why do you think Bali stands out as the one place where you'd like to come back overall I think it's just the, the friendliness the kindness of the locals 
and that comes probably with like the the religion here and the culture here but it's it's just so peaceful they're so incredibly connected to nature like the architecture here is that they basically build um houses around nature and not like nature around houses like people have trees in their living room just because they grew there and the house is built around them um and yeah just this detachment almost from materialistic values like not in the sense that they don't care at all about it but more that you know community and and family uh, is, is just much more important than driving a lamborghini or this all these like external external goals so yeah i think that's something about it feels so light and so so peaceful and people here seem to be very connected with themselves like it's in the local culture that they they meditate a lot they they pray a lot to the 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 gods they believe in um and that just brings such a such a high frequency to the island that you just feel from the second you put you put the first foot on the floor at the airport something about it just feels very very grounding calming and kind of like ha I can breathe, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And with that, um, what I I actually thought when I when I went there was the fact that Bali is often when I actually heard of it, it was a place that is known for Instagram. To be honest with you, I I, yeah. I, I literally <laughs> combine the two. When I think of an Instagrammable place, the first thing that pops up is <laughs> Bali. Um, what is it like? I guess living there in comparison to say being a tourist I'm just curious about actually living on the island because a thought that popped to me when I was there was this is amazing and beautiful and grounding and all of the superlatives however I did think would I actually like to live here and I still don't know if I'd say yes or no what is it like actually living in Bali I have to say it actually just sets the bar so high for everywhere you go after. I'm like, nah. <laughs> no, if you live in the most picturesque place, like one of the most picturesque places in the world, also not going to lie, surrounded by some of the most picture perfect people. Like sometimes I drive around, I'm like, everyone here looks Photoshopped. <laughs> like I go to the gym and they're just always like, picture perfect influences and you know every every coffee place you go like everything is just top notch like the all your food just looks perfectly you know like a representative for an instagram post and when i go home now you know i just look at my food and i'm like excuse me where are like my my flowers and my salad and <laughs> I'm not like that, but you, you can't help it. Like it just, if you live here for too long, it almost feels like living in a bubble that you do forget a little bit how reality is working and that, you know, that you can't just go to a massage three times a week. And um, another big thing here is um, Gojek. <laughs> no product placement here, but yes, it's pretty common that people order food instead of cooking themselves. So just get used to it and almost if you don't remind yourself you just forget some of these housewifey skills because you can just get this instant gratification of whatever food you want whatever um basically anything is available on gojack so it really becomes this instant gratification which is absolutely amazing to have and i wouldn't want to miss it but you always have to remind yourself whenever you step out of the bubble 
it takes some readjustment. And I think for some people, it actually became the case that they don't want to leave Bali or they're afraid to go back to um, the other world because they, mm. don't, they don't really know if they can function in this world anymore because it's almost like you unlearn skills that are common sense for everyone else. Yeah, no, of course. As, as you're saying that, I'm thinking that. <laughs> There are similarities with Saigon, to be honest with you, yeah. or Vietnam. There are similarities in terms of the convenience and the amount of luxuries available. But then yeah. I'm thinking Bali would just magnify that by, yeah. by five times, if not ten. Right. Just sheer, <laughs> I, I don't want to say the word easy, because I feel like there are still challenges that you face wherever you yeah. live. There will always be yeah. cons, but it's it's very convenient. I think that's a better word. Yeah. It's a very, very convenient place to live. I feel like you totally. Yeah. Like everything is accessible in a finger snap, even just for traveling around. You know, you have the mountains, volcanoes, jungle, beach, like within an hour, you know, you can just hop on your little scooter and then just drive anywhere. Like doesn't take much planning. Like everything is so accessible. It's like pretty much everything here is a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And what was it like? Because I believe you did. And correct me if I'm wrong. Were you based in Bali primarily throughout 2020, 21? i.e. the pandemic <laughs> uh, that's a good question um because yeah like let's say the whole bali journey was not planned to the extent that it like turned into i was actually living in australia before um and i really did find my happy place in australia that was what i mentioned earlier when i feel like i did not really connect with the german culture i always found it in Australians like whenever I met Aussies when I was traveling I'm like damn like I just vibe with them this is just these are my kind of people and when I'm done with my master's and I don't have any let's say responsibility in Europe anymore I want to explore Australia because that could potentially be my country um, so yeah after my um, master's I left and I moved to Australia and it was amazing absolutely loved it it completely over delivered in terms of what I was expecting and my expect expectations were high. Um, but then my visa was running out. So I needed to leave for like six weeks to apply for like another year, uh, which was supposed to take six weeks to process. And then I, I was ready to go back to Australia and live there for at least another year. Um, but then Corona hit and uh, one of my friends was uh, that I was supposed to meet in Bali, uh, was working in Jakarta at that time. And he sent me a message, like just forwarded me an article and was like, Nini, if you, if you want to make it to Bali, like don't wait until next week, they're going to close the borders in 30 hours. <laughs> so I was still at my co-working place, like working, not really checking my phone. And then in the evening I read it and I was like, whoa, like it seems quite like a serious thing. And I, I got to be honest, in, in, in Sydney or in Bonnai, where I was living back then, Corona and like um, this whole working from home just meant people were hanging out at the beach, had a day, felt like had a day off, like there was no sense of panic in the air. So I was not really aware of how extreme it is. Um, but then I was like, well, if Australia is not going to let me stay in and because my visa expires and I can't go back to Bali, like I have probably, I have to fly to Germany. So I'm like, nah, I'd rather go to Bali. And then I literally like booked an overnight um, ticket. And then the next day I was off to Bali. 
thinking it's going to be just like an extra week. So seven instead of six. Um, but then I was a day in Bali and suddenly Australia shut down and overnight they just, you know, closed down entire hospitality and Australians are really like radical. So when they make rules, there's no going back. It's, a, it's an extreme. So they closed the borders and already announced they're not going to open for the next probably 18 months. <laughs> and I was one day out <laughs> wow. and like, I just realized, all right, like there's no going back to Australia anytime soon. I still had my room. I still had like, they're still there, my things. Um, so my friends had to empty my room and, you know, lock everything in a, in a storage room. And uh, yeah, so then I'm like, well, looks like I'm going to be in Bali for some time now. <laughs> yeah. How does that like make you feel? Because I know obviously living in Bali is amazing, et cetera, but is there, was there any kind of anxiety of, oh shit, 18 months at least until all, I get all of my stuff? Oh, that is a long time and I'm sure it can be yeah. tricky for anyone. Was, that, was, was there a sense of apprehension about this whole experience? Big time, big time. I know it sounds like, you know, a luxury, luxury problem to have. So I know that it was in my microcosmos, it was a big thing, but looking what, what other people went through in terms of, you know, losing their jobs, mental health issues. I'm like, my problem is I'm stuck in Bali, <laughs> could be worse. But after all, like, you know, I was far away from, from my family, from my friends. I had, I knew one guy from, from traveling uh, before who was based in the same town as I. But other than that, I didn't know anyone and like didn't know too much about the Balinese culture. Um, and then you feel like in a way you feel really alone, like even though you're, you know, everyone is supposed to be locked up at their house. Like it just feels different when, you know, even when we're allowed to go out, I have no one to hang and I'm a very social person. Um, so yeah, that was quite a challenge. And also because I felt like, Whenever I was moving countries before, it was always my decision that I felt like, you know, I'm ready for a new chapter, grateful for the, for the friends I made, the experiences I have here, but I'm ready to move on. But I felt like with that, it's been taken out of my control. It was like out of my hands that someone made the decision for me, but I wasn't ready. I was not ready to start over again, like find new friends, find like a new, whatever, a new gym, a new co-working place, like start from scratch again and like build up a life from scratch and starting with a white sheet of paper. So yeah, that was definitely like challenging in the beginning. Um, looking back now, I'm super happy and I think I would not be where I am now in terms of the work that I do and like the incredible people I met, but when you just get there, it's like, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And what I am wondering is Bali is often famous for its tourism, etc. Yeah. That, of course, wasn't taking place in 2020 or 2021. Not at how, all. Yeah. How was it living in Bali without the influx of tourists? Because it feels, yeah. I guess on one hand, it would be quite strange and maybe it's lost something. But on the, on the other hand, it's a unique opportunity to uh, experience, yeah. a, I guess, an untouched Bali how did you find the experience? Uh, wow, it was, well, let's, let's put it that way. It's a, what's it saying? A double-sided sport? Double yeah, a double-edged sword. <laughs> double sword. Yeah, I, I tend to mix up those proverbs, but that's what <laughs> I meant. Um, I used to say it's like, um, you know, eating chocolate without the calories. <laughs> that's how it felt. So you get all the good stuff, but none of the bad. Um, but 
Oh, wait, I, I know I want to <clears throat> highlight for the locals. Sorry. <clears throat> Lost my voice. Um, for the locals, it like it's been it's been horrible. They I think Bali depends to 80% on tourism. So for them, it was just they were lost. They didn't know what to do, they didn't know how to survive. Um, so I did the best I could to support with the little means I had. But from a very like egoistic, self-centered perspective, having such an incredible touristy island for yourself for like almost two years, that was absolutely magical. Like we, we basically went for like a trip almost every weekend, like saw every temple, every waterfall, really like squeezed out the very best of the best. Um, and yeah, it felt, sometimes it felt like we're in a movie setting you know you just go to this stunningly beautiful waterfall and there's no one else like just you and your friends hanging out and normally people queue there for like two hours three hours um and yeah like i i was very fortunate to to live with a, a french tour guide for some time <laughs> so her job before was setting up customized uh, tours for french people coming to bali so she had all the knowledge she of knew course, yeah <laughs> Uh, each and every waterfall she had all the connections to the hotels like she was such a gem like even besides the work she was doing she was an incredible person she still is she's just not in Bali anymore um but yeah that was like jackpot plus the fact that all these absolutely gorgeous normally like extremely expensive airbnb places like bedding wedding venues and retreat centers and god knows what they were empty. So people were just happy to cover the, the maintenance costs and they knew they couldn't like make any money from it, but it was better than, than losing money. So we just lived in like the most insane villas, like, like Hollywood style, <laughs> like, you know, like a bar in the pool, a massage place, a gym inside, a private chef, like billiard table, everything um, for, for nothing, like really for probably half of what I paid in Amsterdam when I was living there for like a room in a shared apartment. So yeah, as a, as a boule, how they call the Westerners here, we were freaking lucky and fortunate. Um, and I think we all did our best to give back to the locals. Like we really tried to, you know, make sure we're not exploiting them, but actually doing the best we can to, to give back with the little means that we got. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I can imagine so. And being in Bali and having, I suppose, to get away from that, the touristy bit and connecting with the local people, do you mind giving me some examples of how you would give back? And also, can you talk to me a bit more about the local Balinese? Because I'm probably only really familiar with the tourist expat side of things, except for the people I stayed with at my homestays. So can you tell me more about giving back to locals and what local life is like in Bali? Yeah. Um, the first thing that's actually coming to mind was a connection that I made probably in my first two weeks in Bali. Um, so you could tell like locals were getting really desperate. A lot of them lost their jobs and like hotels and, you know, cafes because there was no tourism at all. Um, so I found this lady uh, who posted in one of those Facebook groups that she now like she lost her, um, her work at a hotel um, and she now created her own little catering and like food delivery business um so i wanted to support her and order from her 
And then she brought me food for like nothing. Is it like two euros maybe? And it was just the best food I've ever eaten, like in a long time, even in Australia. I was like, this is delicious. Like everybody needs to know. Um, and then I kept on ordering from her. And eventually one day she was like, I'm sorry, like I can't deliver anymore because I have to sell my phone um, to pay the school for my son and to pay my rent. And without a phone, I can't take on any orders. And it just broke my heart because I'm like, this woman really knows how to pick herself up the ground and, you know, like making the most out of whatever is in her power to support a family. Um, and just the thought of her like selling her phone and having to give up the business just didn't feel right. So I just asked, like, how much is the how much is the school? How much is the rent? And told her, I like I want to support her and whatever she's doing. So, yeah, just covered the, the payment for, for her son's school, I paid her rent and uh, gave her a little extra so she could boost her own marketing, print some stickers. And yeah, eventually she took over um, a resort kitchen in another place and made it bigger and bigger and really like customized her catering and did all these vegan keto meals and uh, leveled up her business. So that made me really happy to see that, you know, it was the right person to invest in because she had ambition she had to drive she just needed someone to give her a little money and uh, yeah it was not too much for me and it was just incredible to see how much you can help with so little and what an impact it can make on someone's life absolutely yeah. and I love their ethos I remember when I climbed Mount Batur I believe yeah uh, the tour guide um, or the man who brought us up he he was telling us about his day-to-day -day routine which is in the morning before sunrise go up climb and bring his bring his guests up the mountain then yeah. watch the sunrise, go down, go down, wait a few hours, bring his guests up again, watch the sunset, go back down day <laughs> after day after day with no like, um, no real concept of like materialism. Yeah. And I just thought that yeah. was extraordinary just coming yeah. to a society where that is just what happens. Yeah. It's, it's mad. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. In the best way possible. Like even, you know, they've been hit so hard by this whole crisis. Um, and I don't want to generalize it, but the people, like a lot of people I talked to, they were still like so grateful and saying like, you know, we have rice growing on the fields. We have fruit like growing on the, on the trees. Like we're not starving, you know, <laughs> it's like they were just happy for the community they got. They still could hang out with their friends. They, um, you know, they had food on the table, even if it wasn't the avocado from who knows where, um, but you know they, they had enough to provide and to to just you know to realize what what really is important and that's connection community um and and keeping up the the good spirits of the island and that's what they did and honestly corona itself like the, the impact it has in terms of economy hit Bali quite hard mm. but in terms of the outbreak of the actual pandemic it took ages until we had the first case and someone reported to to actually have COVID other than that like there were even news articles out about this weird immunity of Bali that no one <laughs> gets affected like really for months you haven't heard of anyone who actually had it <laughs> yeah I feel like that may be like I, I don't know if this is perhaps too much of a different dimension but the I guess the the, the energy in Bali means that perhaps yeah. you know, they do have a certain type of immunity <laughs> towards the virus. Maybe we're getting yeah. into too complex territory, but perhaps that's a contributing factor. No, definitely. 
I can definitely see how they that, you know, they, they, yeah, they yeah. go to temple ceremonies and they just bless the island and they do all these little um, instant offering and the banana leaves. Like every morning you just see all, all these little offerings all over the streets. I'm always afraid to drive over with my scooter because then I'm like, oh, I'm cursed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like touching. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> What I've not actually done here, Nini, uh, is I've not actually asked you about the work you're doing because we've spoken yeah. about living abroad and living in Bali. Yeah. But I guess, you know, we have to touch upon what you do for a living. What is the work you do? <laughs> Funnily, I think you've already said what I'm doing uh, for work without actually knowing that it is my work. <laughs> oh, <ooh>, I'm curious. <laughs> Let's just say besides the, the pancake tester, um, I'm actually being a bucket lister and eye connector for a living. So I, I, like I sum it up as I connect people for a living. <laughs> um, so I do two things. One is um, I'm a team building coach for remote work teams. So basically I facilitate um, team building workshops for any global company that has a team that's spread all over the, the world or different countries and of course, they really lack a bit of a corporate culture because they don't really share um, the coffee break together, having a lunch break, have no office chit chat. So they just meet up on Zoom. All they do is talk about work, um, but they miss out on these little, you know, personal connections that really helps um, a team to bond as like a, a strong community. So um, that's one of the things I do. And um, finally, uh, that's a whole different other story. Um, but we saved that maybe for another question. Um, but one of my most um, successful and most sold workshops is a bucket list workshop. So I actually do um, that in a corporate setting, but help those individual team members to create this 12-step bucket list, which is based on a very holistic principle. And uh, yeah, just help them getting clearer on their purpose and meaning and what actually intrinsically makes them happy. And then the end, we always have a bit of an action taken session. So I really get them to take action on their own bucket list and uh, do something that just helps them to you know, ignite their fire from inside. So eventually they're more energetic, more enthusiastic, and also more driven in their work when they fill up their own, when they charge their own batteries. Um, so yeah, that's a, a beautiful job to do. Like that's one of the workshops, but the most popular one. Uh, but it feels really good living my own bucket list and helping other people to create theirs and actually living it as well. Um, and number two, uh, so remote team learning is one. The other thing quite connected as well um, is that I created a, a card game that I produce here in Bali. It's a conversation sparking card game that is called I Connect, Make Connections Stronger Than Wi-Fi, hence the, the eye connector in my yeah, Insta bio. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's basically meant to get people off their phones and talk to each other. So it's a, a bunch of conversation sparking questions in different categories. And uh, yeah, that help to people, helps to make people more interesting than social media and bring back human connections before we all get lost just scrolling around and spreading likes instead of real life compliments. So yeah, connecting people is my thing. Yeah. How did you, how did you actually get into this work? I'm curious where this all started. Like how did, yeah. how, like, how did this begin, I guess? Where was the first plug? Um, you mean for, for uh, team building or for, for the game or both? 
I'd say both. So let's begin with team building. How did that begin? So that is a whole long story. <laughs> okay, we need at least, let's say, two minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Okay, long answer. Um, so after I finished my master's, I took a bucket list year for myself and I handed in my thesis on my 24th birthday. And I was like, I am way too young to find a job now and keep on working for the rest of my life. And I mean, I was happy with what I studied, but I didn't really have a clue of what I want to work as. So I said, I'm going to give myself 365 days uh, to tick off as many things as I could from this list. And then I'll get out all the, you know, like this fire inside of me of having to go out and explore everything. And then be like, ooh, after a year of exploring, I probably will be a bit more settled and kind of. So for the first three months, I was just like traveling around, going to Nicaragua, hitchhiking, surfing, learning Spanish. And then I came across a TED Talk on YouTube. So I just put in like TED Talk bucket list. And I actually found a TED Talk from a guy called The Bucket List Guy. And he gave this ultimate 12-step blueprint of how to write a personally meaningful bucket list and go out and take action, pair it with this whole positive psychology behind of basically how we're all just like wasting our time thinking we have 80, 90 years and never take action. And then we only actually ever take action when we get diagnosed with a disease or something dramatic happens. But this reminder of like, make the most out of your life while you can and just don't wait until it's too late. And that really resonated with me, especially in this bucket list year. So um, yeah, I like watched the video, I rewrote my own bucket list. And since then I did a lot of things that I never thought were possible. Like just because I found a way to make it happen, took a plan, wrote a plan, um, took action. I met the Dalai Lama, did like learn to break dance, freeze, like all of that things I've always wanted to do. And when I moved to Australia, I then um, sent a message to the guy who gave the TED talk and told him how much I felt inspired by him and that it literally really changed my life and that I wanted to thank him. And if he was ever in Melbourne, um, I'd love to invite him for a coffee. <laughs> and turned out he was in Melbourne for a conference like three days later. Oh, wow. So we met up and we just sat there for hours and having like the best chat and we're just totally vibing. And I'm like, this guy just really gets me and he's just so like-minded. And he told me about this whole bucket list coaching thing and that he actually like, um, you know, does like this coaching training for people who want to teach that to co uh, companies and stuff. And I'm like, that is the best job I've ever heard of. But I totally do not have any money to pay for like a coaching certificate. Like when I just come to Australia on my backpacker budget. Um, but then I went to a bunch of interviews in Sydney and in Melbourne and I'm like, yeah. you know, I could have gotten a job, but I was just sitting there. I was like, this is just not it. Like I would make money there, but I would go home and feel like I need to recharge my own batteries after spending 10 hours working for someone else. So eventually I wrote him like the longest email ever and came up with any possible idea that I could make up for the license without actually paying for the license. <laughs> so just, you know, suggested all of the skills and um, what I studied and however I could give back. And funnily, he replied on my birthday, which was exactly 
I said my said to myself like by this day I'm gonna have a job and he was like listen I thought about it and you seem like very like intrinsically motivated and um we currently don't have anyone uh, running our marketing department and it seems like that's just what you studied. So I can offer you to just, you know, build up the marketing team for the next two, three months. Um, and I train you to be a bucket list coach. And if you're doing a great job, then uh, you can keep the marketing position and get paid for it. And you also have the license. So that's what I did. And then I started off working for the bucket list company headquarter at the end of my bucket list year. Um, and then stayed with the company for two years almost as a global marketing manager and working remotely. So that was the deal, you know, swapping my bucket list year for a bucket list life. <laughs> um, and then I decided that I was actually missing a little bit of some like corporate culture in a remote team. So then... I just used my license that I had and doing what I really wanted to do was coaching more and then took the license, quit the marketing position and basically build up my own team building uh, little thing and added a few more workshops. And now I'm helping other people to get this sense of connection and belonging while still being able to live the, the life of the free and working from any place they want to, but still feeling like they're being connected to some bigger, bigger picture and they're part of something and they're not alone. So yeah, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is so much to take in there to the point where I wish this conversation was in person because I feel like it could go for hours and hours and I'd still be like, where does this bit go and where does this bit go? And I find that whole story incredible. Um, it, it brings me, I suppose, there's one bit that stood out. Well, I guess it's the way that you casually mentioned it, which I feel like I'm going to have to follow up on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask it first, actually, before I move on to another concept. You, you said casually, like, I met the Dalai Lama. You, you met the Dalai yeah. Lama? Just the bomb. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I actually not didn't expect that that's what stood out the most. But yeah, I did. <laughs> Funnily, that was the first thing that I put on the list. So the acronym um, for, for this bucket list concept is basically my bucket list. And then for every letter, you have one bucket list category. And then M is the first letter and it stands for meet a personal hero. So after I watched the TED talk, I'm like, who is it that I've always wanted to meet? And like the first person that came to mind was Dalai Lama. And then I was like, well, he's pretty old. <laughs> like, If I want to meet him, I better meet him sooner than later. I don't want to regret that, you know, like in a year, I'm like, damn, now I get the news he's passed away and I never met him. So I just Google and I'm like, what does a Dalai Lama do all day? Like, is he just meditating in his cave all day? Is he, I don't know, Instagramming and <laughs> tagging his food places in Bali or who knows? Um, and then I found on his website that he's touring around a lot for his age <laughs> and that he was actually going to be, like first that he was going to be in, I think, Rotterdam half a year later and I lived in Amsterdam at that time I'm like great I can just meet him here in Europe but then um I was like well you know maybe half a year is not enough to uh, like too much time and I saw that he's gonna be in Lithuania three weeks later and I'm like Lithuania <laughs> that's Europe so I couldn't pinpoint it on a map but I was like yep let's just book a flight to Lithuania 
Um, so I did. And then literally two hours after I watched the TED Talk, I had a flight booked to Lithuania. I had bought my ticket for the basketball stadium. He's going to uh, give his speech and found this Australian guy on couch surfing that uh, invited me so to, to just stay over at his place in uh, Lithuania. And then told one of my best friends and she was like, cool, I'm down. She booked her flight. And then a few weeks later, we were in uh, Vilnius, Lithuania um, at the Dalai Lama speech. And for some miraculous reason, someone thought I was someone I was not <laughs> in the end. So while I was trying to make my way up like to as close to the stage as possible, Someone just let me through and I was standing next to this, I still don't know who it is, but this very important guy. And they started taking pictures of like, <laughs> like him, me and like someone else. And I was just on these pictures. I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. <laughs> but if that allows me to be in the front row, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to smile and look at the camera. <laughs> and eventually I went like all the way to, to the stage and like, reached out my hand and the Dalai Lama pissed by and like touched my hand. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to wash this hand again. And yeah, I think touching his hand and this whole like experience was just such an eye-opening like game changer for me that I realized like nothing is too big to be put on a list. Like literally all it was it took was 10 minutes of action, like sitting down, Googling, what does he do? Where can you meet him and booking a flight? And that wasn't expensive. It was just like two days. So anyone could have done that. Like it was not rocket science. So that just really got me going to be like, all right, like if I can meet the Dalai Lama, which seemed to be the most like almost impossible thing I could come up with before, there's probably nothing I can do. So yeah, it's just, you know, like, um, what's that with the the person who ran a mile under five minutes? Like once yeah. the first person yeah. does it, yeah, yeah Rush Bannister, exactly. It's like, it takes away this limiting belief and you're like, well, if I can do that, then what else can I do? And that's just how this whole year continued. And the Dalai Lama basically kicked it off. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible sentence. The Dalai Lama kicked it off. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Do you believe in like <laughs> concepts such as manifestation, et cetera? Because this seems like it links with that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big time, big time. I mean, to be fair, in Bali, if you want it or not, you get just soaked into it, like into some some way of spirituality, woo-woo magic. Um, but yeah, I 100% believe in it. I, I do have my like affirmations manifestation that I, that I repeat every morning. And I feel like life just gets so much easier once you just trust the process and yeah, go with the flow. You know that I call it like the universe got your back and things just work out if you like know what you want, but then detach from, from the outcome itself and just trust that you know, everything happens for a reason or everything has meaning. And I 100% believe in that. And I have to say for the last year, it's just like, I just believe in it more and more and more. And I just get more and more confirmation that this actually does work. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, what advice would you give to say people who would love to live in Bali or look at perhaps you living in Bali or anyone else or living abroad and doing things like bucket listing and iConnect. Yeah. And they look yeah. at, oh, you're so, 
I don't know, you're so great or you're so lucky. Or basically what I think I'm trying to say is they will perhaps look at somebody like yourself and mm-hmm. say, oh, I'd love to do that. But, and they'll come with a few, quite a few excuses or lists of reasons why. They yeah. What advice would you give to them based on somebody who has been and done it and has lived it? I would say nothing exciting ever happens in your comfort zone. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but if you've never tried it and you have this like inch inside of you that you're like, oh, like that itch, itch inside of you. Yeah, I tell you, but if you feel like that kind of excites you and what's on the other side, like you're never going to be totally like happy and content until you've tried it like if there's like this little voice inside of you telling you like go out and try it then freaking do it like honestly I think the biggest fear we have is just getting started and almost is um yeah this misbelief that we think we have to have it all figured out by the day we start but I can tell you like for 99% of the things I've done in my life maybe 19 at 99, but I did not have a plan. I was just, no, I just, it's the same from Richard Branson saying like, say yes and figure it out afterwards. (laughs) And I feel like that's really, really true. Like you just know what you want, you know, your, your, your final goal or what you want to reach, but you don't have to know each and every step, how to get there. Like start with the first thing, like break your goal down into the most tangible bite and like feel like what does it take to get one step closer to doing what I want to do and then it's like um like a scratch map or whatever you just figure out as you go like step by step and eventually you get more confident like things are just aligning like you meet you meet people that can help you out like it just you know just get the get the engine get the engine going and like take action so it doesn't really matter how slow you're moving but like keep on moving do something for it and you know like nothing exciting is gonna happen when you just scroll through instagram admire other people's lives and thinking like oh i wish i I could do it it's not easy in a way of like the, the challenges you're going through also in terms of you know social expectations like I clearly did not choose the route that probably my parents had in mind for me for, you know, finishing my studies and then, you know, working for for a corporate and making my way up the corporate ladder. Um, Instead, you know, I had, I did have conversations with my parents where they're like, Nini, what you doing? Like surfing and surfing coconut, uh, coconuts all day. And (laughs) we, we supported you to, to finish your masters and, you know, like kind of, do something with your life um, in the most loving and caring way. But, you know, it's it's not easy breaking free from, from that pattern, especially the longer you're almost trapped into it and the more of a, like, lifestyle you build up that's based on a certain salary, that's based on um, hanging out with certain people and taking off the society grocery shopping list almost in terms of you know getting married having babies getting a promotion and if that makes you happy 100% go for it but if it doesn't don't be afraid to like try and like even if you fail like it's better trying it and failing than never trying at all and I 
actually don't even believe in a concept of failing. It's more like a, a learning experience that you grow from. But until you've tried it, you always ask yourself, like, what if I just did it? So now just think of yourself at the end of your lifetime and be like, what would I regret not having done? And if traveling and like doing your own thing, nomading around, building your own business is one of these things, like go for it. And if it comes from an intrinsic motivation and not any external one, you always, always find a way to make it happen. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And I'm delighted that we've shed light upon this topic and how you can make it happen, take action, do the small things. And I love a quote that you mentioned of nothing ever happens from admiring other people's lives because yeah. it's almost pointless really when there is only one life that you can live and that is your own yeah. really, you know, focus towards it. Um, coming towards the end of the conversation, uh, Nini, I, I have a question that I've started asking guests, which is yeah. almost turning the tables. Has there been a question that I've not asked you that you would have liked me to? Wow, that is genius question. Um, ha ha ha. Let me, ha. Funnily. Get me back. <laughs> um, chip, chip, chip. Let me think. I'm just thinking of a cool iConnect question. Um, but like, yeah, and eventually you would ask me that question, right? So it's not I'm asking you that question. <laughs> so I, I tell you a question and you then ask me um oh okay it's an iconic question and it's just one I came up with and it took me some time to think about it so if you could have if you would be given no what's it saying you can okay so you can only pick two out of the three what would you pick money time or energy Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, time. Yeah. <laughs> and now it gets tricky, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking this recently and writing down how I need my energy for almost everything I do. And yeah. what would be the point in me having all of that money without the energy? But then if I have all of the energy and yet no ways to make the money, I mean, when we ask this question, sorry, is it yeah. you have out of the two, like you have, for example, loads of the two and none of the other, how does it work? <laughs> I was hoping you're not going to ask me that because I haven't thought it out. Um, I mean, I think it's it's pretty obvious when we say it's like, it's not that bad. You have like an average energy and average income. Um it's quite easy to, to answer that question. So let's just say like, it's all or nothing. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> all, all or nothing. I think all or nothing I go for time and energy, but that's, yeah. but that's all or nothing. If it was say, for example, like, um, you get, <laughs> say if you get like lots of, lots of two of them and okay in one. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'd. Ooh. Ooh. Well, let's. Oh, let's reframe it. If you had like, if you got like a hundred percent given, how would you distribute time, energy, and money? Ah, uh, that's an excellent question. Okay, one hundred. If one hundred percent, reframe that, and I can. <laughs> yeah, time, energy, and money. Okay. Hmm. I think <laughs> I would spend. I'm just trying to do the maths. Just working out how good of yeah. maths I am here. Hmm. <laughs> Mm, 
I think I do. Hmm, wait, yeah, but I've got it. I've got it. Okay. 40% yeah. on my energy. Yeah. Which I believe is like my health, my vitality. 30% on my time, most important commodity. And I think 25% yeah. of money because it balances the three as nicely as possible. Yeah. I know it's not perfect, but I'd say that's the best one. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Yep. Good one. I think I would actually do 60% energy. Because I feel like when you have this, you know, this drive, this enthusiasm, that's kind of like a, almost like a unique selling point and makes you stand out from other people. So actually you connect with more people and eventually they can actually help you, help you out making things happen. But it, you know, if you come up with this energy, with this great, great idea, whatever it is, um, a little bit of time, otherwise there's no time to be creative if you're caught in like the the hamster hamster wheel um so probably like 60 percent energy 30 percent time and then just maybe 10 percent money to cover like the basic needs but i think you can always find a way to make money but you just won't get your energy or your time back mm, that's true this is some graph graphic of you know basically our lifetime based on these three factors and i say like in the first 30 years we basically we have time and you have energy but we don't really have money <laughs> you know as a student you know you live your best life partying all that you're broke as fuck but you're just hanging out with your friends and you know you can you never hang over it rock up to 8 a.m lectures after a night out and you're happy and then from 30 to 60 ish, you make money, um, you, you have the energy, um, but then you don't have time because it's just working all day. Uh, yeah. And eventually yeah. the last 30 days, uh, 30 years, hopefully more than days, um, you do have the money, you're retired, you have the time, but you don't have energy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. This is really giving me food for thought. And <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it means, you know, I guess just always prioritizing and I suppose balancing is the key word here where, for example, if you make a load of money in these, yeah. in this period where, can I ask you actually, Nini, how old you are? I'm 28. 28. Okay. So fairly similar to myself. I'm 24. So we're in our twenties. Our so therefore, you know, we're kind of perhaps, I guess, naturally inclined to look a bit more for the money. Cause as you said, like yeah. you are usually broke as fuck when you're in your twenties, but then- <laughs> You have to like, you know, balance that as it is and also get trying to get them all in tangent to a degree. Like obviously it won't all be perfect, but if you have too much money and not enough time and not enough energy, then it's not really useful and vice versa. So it's I guess it's all about a balancing act, but achieving that seems to be the the obstacle for us all. <laughs> and that's a hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I've really enjoyed this, Nini. I think we've covered a lot of bases to the point where I wish this was in person because we could go for a long, long time and I could have... Uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, but one day I would definitely, perhaps in the very near future, I'd definitely be interested in another sequel to perhaps pick your brains more on my bucket list, iConnect, and the actual mechanics. Yeah. This like 30% principle really got me thinking. So that would be great. <laughs> have you got any final thoughts that you'd like to add um, before we wrap up? Anything you'd like to plug or any final message? over to you anything you'd like to say um no pressure <laughs> um but if anyone hears that and feels inspired by anything that i've shared or has any any questions um feel free to reach out anytime like 
inspiring people to live their life up to the fullest. It's, I feel like it's my purpose. It's my thing. And I do that wholeheartedly. So I'm, I'm sometimes very bad in replying instantly, but I do reply. <laughs> um, and yeah, feel free to reach out. And other than that, get your get your eyes off your phone and connect with the people behind it because human connections are just the very best there is in life. And Instagram can't replace that. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, Nini. I've really, really enjoyed it and I'm delighted we've connected. Take care and all the very best for your future endeavors. Thank you so much for you too, Connor.